Hey everyone, the Woj Pod is hitting the road again. This time, we're headed to Chicago for All-Star Weekend, Saturday, February 15th, 1 p.m. at Lincoln Hall. We've still got a few tickets left for a live Woj Pod featuring Los Angeles Clippers guard Patrick Beverly, a native son of Chicago, ESPN's Jackie McMullen, and the Ringer's Ryan Rossillo, all together on one stage a live Woj Pod at Lincoln Theater. There'll be free food, some free swag, and a great conversation among some of the most interesting basketball minds anywhere. To get your tickets, go to eventbrite.com and search the Woj Pod. That's eventbrite, B-R-I-T-E dot com. Search the Woj Pod. There's still a few tickets left. Saturday, February 15th, 1 p.m., at Lincoln Theater. Hope you'll join us. Here with Jalen Brown of the Celtics here at the team's facility on the eve of, like, there aren't many bigger days, certainly for a Celtic, playing the Lakers and playing, being one of the teams playing on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. That's not one of 80. It doesn't feel like one of 82, does it? Um, no, definitely a big day. Not, uh, I think the, not only just the Lakers versus Celtics matchup, but, you know, to, to be commemorating Martin Luther King on his day, um, and, and showing our, you know, appreciativeness and the support of him. It's great. Yeah. You, you've missed a couple games with that right thumb. You still got it wrapped here. Do you, you expect to play? Yeah. I'm going to see how it feels tomorrow. Yeah. Um, you know, I sprained a few ligaments yeah. in my thumb, but, uh, I think we're on a, a tough stretch. Right now, and I think my team needs me, so I'm. A, if I can go, I'll, I'll definitely go for sure. You know, it's interesting too, right? When, when you have any kind of an injury in this league, how many different people, like in an organization, right, have to sort of sign off on going back on the floor? I don't think people realize how many people are in a conversation for a player, from your group to the team, doctors, tra- everybody, front office, coaches, like to make a decision about whether you play or not. A lot. I think it's like a, you know, a group decision for sure. Some people have certain opinions. Some people, you know, don't. Some people disagree. Um, but, you know, the ultimate goal is to get you back on the floor. And if you're depending on your responsibility of the team, like if we really need you, they're going to try to urge you to get back a little bit faster, you know, um, than, you know, if the team is doing fine without you. Jalen, here's something I've talked to a few guys about, and, and, and there's always like really differing views of this. When somebody – shows the kind of improvement you have from the time you showed up at Cal, especially offensively, right? Like your ability uh, as a shot maker and and look at all the numbers as they've risen and and you're having here in your fourth year, career year, looks like could very well be an all-star season. And when you become, you make dramatic improvements on, you know, three-point shot, free throw percentage, field goal percentage, you know, you play multiple positions. How much do you feel like it's a natural improvement because you were willing to put the work in, you have put the work in, and at the end of the day, that's that's what matters more than anything. But how much do you think is attributed to environment, coaching? Like, do you look at what you've done since, let's say, the day you showed up at Cal or the day you showed up in Boston versus imagining being somewhere else with another coaching staff, another group, do you think it would have happened anywhere, or do you think there's something to 
player development. There's something to the environment. I think the, the, the Boston Celtics have a great environment, um, but I think my plight was a little bit different. Like, I didn't have a lot of leeway. Like, when I got drafted, um, I was the number three pick. But, you know, I was coming to a playoff team, so I didn't play much. And I, as a number three pick, that isn't very, you know, common. So I didn't have the same, you know, development process of the number three picks get to have to make mistakes, you know, because we were still wanting to win games. My learning curve had to be a lot quicker. Like, I would still get pulled out no matter how high of a draft pick I was or how much money was invested into me because, you know, we're trying to be a playoff team. So I think um, the development process for me um, definitely has been a great environment in Boston. But, you know, I had to overcome a lot of, you know, um, hurdles mentally to just to be able to stay and keep my confidence and be able to, to still be able to grow and improve uh, in this environment because Boston puts a lot of pressure on their athletes, like probably top three top four organizations that put media wise in terms of how they put so much pressure on their athletes. I, I want to get back to that, but you talk about, listen, most guys who are the third pick in the draft go to bad teams. They go to teams in a lottery rebuilding. It was different because Boston owned picks. Do you think about like you could have gone somewhere like you said, they'll let you play through mistakes because they're not putting the premium on winning and losing that night. So when you're on a playoff team, a team trying to do big things, like you said, you'll get pulled. Did that speed along your development? Did it? How do you view that now when you look back at those first couple of years? I think that it gave me uh, it added more fuel to the fire. Like I used to be frustrated. I used to be angry. You know, I felt like I was better than um, than the minutes that I was getting at the time. So at the end of the day, it made me a better basketball player. Um, it made me have more drive, have more focus. It made me want to be, you know, have more attention to detail. Like, I'm not going to make those mistakes. I'm going to be even better because I'm going to give him Brad or no reason to pull me out, you know, because I'm going to be great on offense and great on defense, and I'm not going to make any mistakes. So he has to put me on the floor. So it ended up making me a better basketball player in the long run, and, you, I'm, and I'm happy for it. You, when, you, when you felt that frustration then about, I think I should play more. When you look back now at where you were and the mistakes you were making, do you have a different perspective? Do you go, no, no I, I, okay, I could see why now because I'm so much better at this. Or do you still look back and go, no, I could have done more? Um, I feel like I've gotten better. Yeah. 100% yes, but I think I definitely had, you know, potential and capabilities. It's just mentally, I think the game is underestimated, especially as a young player. And confidence is, is so much a part of like how good or how bad a player can be. You know, um, having the confidence that you need, um, and is backed by the organization or backed by your head coach just gives a player so much more a level of freedom that he can tap into and lock his true potential. Um, if he doesn't have his confidence, he's going to beat himself before he even gets out on the floor. I don't know where this rates with guys your age or maybe in the last 10, 15 years. I can't imagine there are many 23-year-olds in the NBA who have played 44 playoff games already, started a little more than half of them. What does that do to be put – and you said how much of the game is mental? And a lot of young players who come in, and I hear, I hear veterans complain about it sometimes, coaches, that like maybe because it's how the amateur system is set up and in some of the travel where kids are being trained – it's lots of games. 
and winning and losing, a lot of it is about evaluation, like where I am in the rankings, who's recruiting me, and less about winning, right? It's about getting evaluation. And that guys don't come in maybe mentally ready to contribute to the league. A lot of guys physically can do it. Like what did being in playoff games at 20, 21, 22, what does it do for your, your the, the way it challenges you mentally to be able to have to think everything? Absolutely, and that's the the credit that I, I give to this this organization being in Boston um, to my development, right? So where I, I I didn't get the 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 experience being able to make mistakes in the regular season and grow, I got to learn and experience the playoffs, which is another part of developing, learning how to win, you know, which is probably the most important development out of everything. I know in this league, like highlights and offensive capabilities are glamorized more than winning. You know, um, there's players that get, you know, a tremendous amount of uh, publicity just because of their ability to do this and do that. But winning is the ultimate goal. And I think people have lost sight of that. And this organization, you know, I've developed the skill to learn how to win. Um, I think that in my class is nobody, maybe outside of Siakam, that has won more playoff games or has won more games, um, period, than me. And that's just being in this organization and adding to that, learning how to win has been, you know, key. So um, it's worked out really well for me. And I think guys sometimes wonder, too, like when it comes contract time, how is it going to be valued when, hey, they they tell you here's a role and you might have to sacrifice this or this, but we are going to pay for winning. And then it comes contract time and then they start throwing numbers at guys and going, well, He's averaging more here. And then you go, okay, you got me, right? You didn't pay. But you end up doing an extension that, you know, I think not only showed, you know, four years, $115 million on your rookie extension, not only based on like what you had done and always that first contract is sort of a projection of what, where they think you're going to be, but it, it felt like they valued that Danny and organization valued winning, that they identified you like, this is a winning player. He has helped us win in the playoffs. I think he's going to help us win more. And, you know, maybe there's been times here where you've had to sacrifice numbers, but it, but it felt like in the end they, they, they validated it, right? Yeah, uh, for sure. So, um, that was the, the whole process going through, you know, contract negotiations. To be honest, I came with the mindset I didn't think that anything was going to get done. I wasn't sure that anything was going to get done. Um, the first initial offer was, uh, four years, 80, et cetera. I didn't think they were going to budge from that. So I came with the mindset. I told Glushan that um, let's see what, what can happen, you know. But your, your agent, Jason Glushan, right? Yeah. yeah. So he, um, for me, I didn't think he, I didn't think Jason was going to be able to get anything done. I thought they were going to stay at 80, and that was going to be it. And I was, I was hell-bent. I was already locked in, focused, ready to carry the weight that I was going to go into this year, you know, playing my fourth year out. And then they jumped up, and that just you know showed that they wanted me here in the organization. They appreciated my value. They thought that I like added to winning. So then it just it was an offer that I, it was too hard to kind of turn down. What if you could accomplish all of your resolutions this year by doing one thing? Mindfulness is the best thing you can do to help you focus on all areas of your life, whether that's taking care of your body, getting more sleep, or finally starting that project. You always wanted to. With Calm, you can learn to be more mindful so you can achieve all your goals this year. Calm is the number one app for sleep, relaxation, and meditation. 
Comcast Sleep Stories, which are like bedtime stories for adults. They can help you fall into a deep, natural sleep in just minutes. And stories are narrated by iconic voices like LeVar Burton and Nick Offerman. They also offer soothing music from artists like Sam Smith, guided meditations, breathing exercises, and so much more to keep you relaxed and de-stressed. And if you go to com.com slash Woj, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. Over 60 million people use Calm. Join them today to accomplish your goals tomorrow. For listeners of the Woj Pod, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at com.com slash Woj, W-O-J. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content is added every week. Get started today at com.com slash Woj. That's com.com slash Woj. Jalen, when you came out of Cal, you did something that I, I can't think of. I don't want to say any others, but certainly you could probably count them on one hand. You didn't hire an agent coming out of school. What? Why? Um, for me, um, when I first started the, the, the process of looking for an agent, I sat down with maybe five to ten agents and um, a lot of them talked about I'm not this is not like an agent diss track that I'm, I'm spitting right here but a lot of them were requiring services or incorporating services that I didn't need um, I believe in specificity I believe in um, I believe in like when if you're good at something like specialization I believe if you're good at something I'm gonna come to you because you're good at this like most of the time, the agents were like one-stop shops. Yep. They were like, they, we're going to handle your money. You know, we're going to take you shopping. We're going to handle this. We're going to do this. And Like, I don't need that. I just need somebody to negotiate this. That's all I need. Everything else, I can pretty much handle on my own. I'll get my own financial advisor. Like, I don't want those two to know each other in actuality. And, you know, I can I can dress myself. Don't worry about that. I don't need you to buy me a car. I don't need you to take me to, to meet Kim Kardashian. I don't need any of that. Like, just handle what I need you to handle, and I'll pay you for that. Explain to people why a player would not want his agent and financial advisor to have a relationship. Uh, I'm not uh, – for me, um, I was blessed to have mentors, Sharif Abdurrahim, Isaiah Thomas, Jason Kidd who, you know, kind of explained this to me early coming in. I'm not saying everybody is the same, but um, most of the time, if your agent and your financial advisor, you know, have the same relationship with each other or they work with each other, uh, not saying this is every case, right. but a lot of times they have access, too much access to, you know, you, whether you give it them to allow them to have, control of your money and like the the word agent you know a synonym for it is like power when you're giving somebody your agency you're giving somebody power over you and allowing them to know you like your financial advisor is also giving them power to like know your money and be have access to your money and stuff like that you'll rather those guys not even know each other you know because the decisions are being made there's a a potential for conflict exactly right conflict of interest right conflict of interest yeah uh but when it came time as you, like you said, and especially with your rookie, you know, you're, you're slotted. When you're picked third, there's really no room for negotiation. The deals are slotted. Um, now 
there's off the court stuff and you can have, and I think you did, you had people who worked on, you know, the endorsement side and that, but that's not contract negotiation. But when it came time for your rookie extension, had you thought about, should I try to negotiate this myself? Did you think about doing it or did you all along think I will eventually hire an agent to negotiate that contract? Um, first of all, I'll start off with the, the first statement off the court. Like, uh, I learned so much by not having an agent and it was great for me. I hit my head. I made some mistakes. I've had bumps and bruises, but I, I learned so much by not having somebody hold my hand and kind of walk me through every door. Like, Everything that I built with my brand on the court, off the court, stuff you see at Harvard, education stuff, stuff you see with fashion and stuff you see me doing with kids, I did that pretty much with my own two hands. Um, and by me doing that, you know, allowed me to learn so much, you know, allowed me to be able to, to have relationships that I have now rather than my agent having them. I can call the, the director of the media lab at MIT. I can call you know, the director of the education program at Harvard just allowed me to have those relationships rather than them be through a third party. Um, so that was great for me. But second part, I did try to uh, negotiate the contract myself. Uh, I talked to Danny and uh, I told Dan, asked Danny what he was thinking uh, before I left for USA. He gave me the number that, that they initially offered me, yeah. like the four years 80. So I told my agent if he got anything above that, and that's what, you know, we are, we will, we will work with. Right. What was that meeting like to go sit with Danny Ainge and say, okay, let's talk contract? Uh, it was normal. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, Dan, it was normal. Um, just talking to Danny. Danny's not somebody that you can't talk. He might disagree with you, but he will, he will always disagree with you. He, he always, always wants to argue. Yeah. He wants to argue. Even when he agrees with you, he wants to disagree with you, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's somebody you could yeah. talk to, I would say. Um, when, uh, when I was drafted, you know, I was, I was booed when I was drafted here in Boston. I think Danny was probably one of my biggest supporters, yep. you know, for sure. Um, so I feel like if anybody, I could talk to him. It's kind of how I felt. So if anybody's a believer, a supporter yeah. in Jalen Brown is probably Danny Ange is probably one of them. So just going to talk to him wasn't, wasn't too hard to be honest. And he shot me straight like he always does. Like this is what he's willing to do right now. And uh, he's going to go back and look at all the analytics and stuff, and maybe he'll come back later. And he did go back, and he did come back later. Um, luckily, he did, and I'm here. You get drafted by the Celtics. You come to Boston. How do you connect with talk about the media lab at MIT, uh, the, the education program at Harvard? Do you just pick the phone up and reach out to people, or how did that happen? Um, you're going to laugh when I tell you. Actually, Harvard slid in my DMs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did an article with The Guardian, my second year in the league, and I, I talked about – I didn't even think that – I've never heard of The Guardian before. Um, I did an article, and it went pretty viral, and uh, talking about education. Sports is a, a mechanism for control in society. I talked about some um, some some really important topics, and it kind of went viral. And harder and Harvard slid in my DMs. They were like with the eye emoji, like, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how the relationship started. Then they asked me to come give a lecture at Harvard, which I was like, I was in, not intimidated, but definitely nervous. That was my first time ever speaking publicly at 21, uh, and I think I'm the youngest Harvard lecturer in Harvard history, and I think it, it did like half a million views. I think. Yeah, and I, and I, I was one of them. And 
in watching it, if you tell me you were nervous, I, I believe it. you didn't look nervous. There was something you wanted to share over there, and there's a point of view. And once you got into it, to me, it looked like you were just talking to somebody at Starbucks, right? Right. Um, to be honest, when I first got there, so my one request with Harvard is that I didn't have basketball media there. Um, and uh, I wanted them to honor that. Why I had that request? Because um, I feel like basketball media, they uh, are different from, you know, it's a different world from like, you know, this educational space that we're in. They is looked at differently. I didn't want somebody to, to misquote me or take sound bites and for people to run with them. You know what I mean? In the, the basketball world, because that's something that uh, I feel like would have been done. So that was my run request was that like people that were typical basketball NBA or associated that they not be invited, not because out of disrespect, just because I didn't want the my message to be portrayed the wrong way. I think people in that space would have media in that space would have understood what I was saying more so, and I think people maybe in the, uh, that's how I felt at the time, people in the basketball area, I didn't want to be blackballed for some of the things that I was saying because if I said sports is a, a mechanism for controlling society, I didn't want that to be perceived yeah. as like I'm hating on sports, like sports has tra- transformed my life and transformed a lot of people's life, but it also is like an outlet for aggressive energy if people didn't have, you know, sports in um, disadvantaged neighborhoods. Um, they would outlet their energy in other aspects, maybe some positive and maybe not. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on. And it's just a big, inefficient mess, taking up too much time and too many resources. And that all hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide. Seven key strategies to grow your profits at netsuite.com slash woge. That's netsuite.com slash woge to download your free guide, seven key strategies to grow your profits. One more time, netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash woge. You mentioned Sharif Abdul-Rahim and... It's funny, I had him on the podcast a couple months ago, and that, which makes now two Wheeler High School alums. Cal Burt. And, yeah. and Cal, guys, on, on the pod. Number three picks. And number three picks, I forgot, that's right. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it f- feels like, it sounded like you were really shaped by, in high school, you had some classes in that honor track, high honors, where it was a different classroom environment, and then you had classes that were more of the broader student population. You tell me the difference in those environments triggered something in you that you didn't just leave at Wheeler High when you graduated, mm-hmm. right? I didn't really notice the difference until I got to college. And I got to reflect on my educational experience throughout high school. Um, but what Wheeler High School brought, which some high schools in 
close to the, the metropolitan area of Atlanta or in Georgia don't have, they do have that, that double consciousness where they have both, right? They have those honors, they have the magnet program, and then they have like the other side of the school, which is like, you know, the, the regular classes or the, the normal classes that, you know, most, most people attend. Um, some schools don't have, you know, some schools, they have the honor class, but they're no different from, you know, any of the other classes. It's all grouped into one. It depends on the level of school that you go to. But for me at Willow High School, I got to have a great perspective of both. I had a dual perspective, I had a double consciousness, that being in honors classes, you know, seeing how the applicants of, like, how to apply what I'm learning to, like, the actual real world, and that's so important. That's so key. I think um, learning how to apply what you're learning to like the real world. So many kids as out there that are like, what did I just learn? Or how do I? And I, I feel like everything that I just learned, I can't do anything with. Like so many of our youth, so many feel like this. Like they're not getting anything out of school. And when I got to college, I learned that that feeling was not, was by design, not unintentional. Right. I think that, you know, certain you know things are in society are set up for you know people to kind of end up in certain places you know um etc so by not giving them that application you know is going to eventually have them you know their social mobility be limited so they'll not go to university so if they don't go to university they have to go to maybe a community college which maybe will lead to not getting a job like a you know an educational elite like a, a higher up job is levels it's levels to it, so it's certain things that are placed with with standardized testing and that help people kind of funnel into different places. And our educational system for the last two, three, four decades has been one of the biggest, you know, advocates of funneling kids in certain directions and based off of things that it shouldn't be based off. There was one teacher who started a sentence, you were in a class, maybe more than once, but but at least once said, if you don't want to learn, and then went on to say what? If you don't want to learn. You don't have to be here. You can leave. Um, being in uh, classes like that, I don't blame the teacher. Like a lot of the times that people make it seem like uh, like I'm pointing fingers at the teacher. Like she had 30 kids in one class, overpopulated classroom. She's trying to keep everybody behaved as well as trying to teach. It's not the easiest thing to do you know you know kids are excited they're loud you know live in an environment where bullying went on so um and certain kids were trying to learn and certain kids were just trying to you know act out because of whatever was going on at home or whatever so um that was her way of trying to balance out the classroom or try to find some type of control over it because uh in in reality it wasn't set up for everybody to succeed there was another, you tweeted about this, I think in April, it was like the five, fifth year anniversary. A teacher essentially said to you, hey, I'm going to look you up in five years at the Cobb County Jail, which is like the regional jail in Atlanta. You tweeted it again, I guess on a five year anniversary of it. Was it that vivid that you remember to tweet or it came up on your... I didn't have anything to do with it. No, somebody just dug it up. Someone dug it up. Yeah. Okay. I didn't have anything to do with it. I had no idea. I'm in the middle of a playoff game. Yeah. I get like, why is my phone like going crazy? We just, Someone sent it back at you. Somebody, okay. Somebody, I guess somebody, yeah. somebody picked it up and then somebody else picked it up and everybody kind of just ran with it, but I had nothing to do with it. You, you tweeted it 
in high school as a kid that it was yeah, a, yeah. as as a date that like, it was that date. Of, yeah. What prompted that? Like what what do you remember prompted a teacher to to say that to you? I remember I remember like it was yesterday. Um we had a class and I came in and uh, I had just got back from a basketball camp. I think it was LeBron or maybe KD. Um, I'm pretty sure it was LeBron. I get back to class. I hadn't been in class for like a week because I was gone for, you know, the camp or whatever. Um, and I get back and a lot of the kids are asking me like, oh my God, like you met LeBron James. We got class going on, but everybody's distracted trying to ask me questions about like what my experience was that, that I had. So I'm telling everybody like, man, it was great. Like, yeah, I got to meet LeBron, but I'm a Kobe fan. Like, um, I'm eating it up. So the teacher was like, um, people, somebody said like, Oh my God, like you're going to be a, like a superstar or something like in high school. And the teacher overheard it and he was like, if he don't do it, finish his work, he ain't going to be, he's not going to be anything. You got to make sure he finishes his work. I responded back to the teacher and I said, with or without this class, I'm going to be, I'm going to be somebody. Like I'm going to be just fine. Um, and she said, I will see. I'll look you up in five years in, in the Cobb County jail. Have you ever seen the teacher? Again, or at least since you graduated. No, nah, I think now. it got resolved. Yeah. It got resolved yeah. in the moment, like yeah, right yeah. when it happened. Like, yeah. we already, I don't really like to talk about it. This is my first yeah. time actually even sharing, like, more yeah. intricate details of what actually happened that day. But we dealt with it when it happened. The teacher had to apologize and stuff like that. And um, and we moved on, you know. Jalen, what's the, what's the next step for you to try and make a difference I guess for young people in education and education and the disparities that are out there, where do you go for where do you go from here to try to maybe advance that agenda? Well, I'm um, right now. Uh, I'm doing a program at MIT um, at the Media Lab. They granted me uh, a fellowship, so for I got a few years. I'm building a program out at MIT for disadvantaged youth. I'm creating a curriculum over at MIT, basically to kind of like reintroduce learning. Um, teaching them that the applicants of learning how learning can be, you know, not just math, social studies, science, history. It's so much more to, like, this world, and MIT has so much to offer. So I'm building a curriculum to kind of take, like, 10 or 15 students from the disadvantaged Boston community and reintroduce learning to them by also giving them access to uh, resources, um, internships, and anything that I'm attached to. Uh, or in the future that I'm going to be attached to, I'm going to have them come with me and be a part of it. So hopefully that they'll um, benefit from it. They'll be like high school juniors probably, so I want to be able to have them tell their experience going into their senior year and getting ready to go into, like, the real world and how, you know, the program kind of helped them change their life. That's great. You mentioned this earlier, Jalen. You talk about the pressure that is on a, a pro athlete in Boston you know, Celtics, Red Sox, Patriots, they're all teams who've been high achievers. Maybe it's worse sometimes when a team's not, not doing well. Maybe it's harder, but these teams like here, but certainly the Celtics, I mean, you walk in the facility and you look around and you see the history. You, you can't hide from it being here. What have you learned in your years here about what tears at teams? What, within a team structure and what you've experienced here in Boston, what is it that can tear a team apart that you have to protect against, fight against every day? Um, the media, um, for sure. Um, allowing the media to get into the locker room, you know, just being careful with your quotes. 
and things like that, how it can affect, you know, your teammates and the organization and the front office and the head coaches. Like, just not giving those sound bites, you know. And those are some things that I've learned as I've gotten older because if you, the way you word your words sometimes can be perceived differently. Even though if you didn't mean it that, it can be given another connotation. So giving concrete answers, you know, not allowing it to be any wiggle room in your in your responses and things like that because we don't want to allow the media to get in our locker room because we saw how that effect was kind of like last year. The way your teammates will interpret something that you say. Is or that, the world. Yeah. Or our coaching staff or the organization. Um, you might not have meant that. There's plenty of times that I've said things in the media and Brad has came up to me and asked me what I meant by it or Danny has came up to me. And I felt bad that they even perceived that that's what I thought they thought that I meant, and I hadn't meant that at all, you know. Does it force guys, whether teammates, teammates, coaches, front office when it's warranted, when that's sort of hanging out there, that does it sort of force you to have to communicate with each other? Like, because if you don't, these things can fester if you don't talk directly and have that daily communication to keep the group together. Yeah, for sure. But just be careful what you say and, and always be cognizant of how it may be perceived. Just be aware. Um, all of us can be can do a better job at that um, in the locker room and outside of it. Um, for example, about a year or two ago, I said that I, I wanted to win five championships in the next, by the time I'm 28. And it was more of a goal than it was like something that was guaranteed. I think it was perceived that Jalen said that he's going to win five championships by the time he's 28. So then I had to answer to Danny. It was like, Danny came up to me like, why would you say something like that? It's extremely hard to win one. You know, and I was like, I didn't mean it the way it was being perceived. You know, I wasn't meaning it in in an arrogant term. I was meaning it like, if I'm setting a goal, like, why not? You know, this is what I want to do. I think we all play to win. I want this. It's not saying that. I'm going to do this. I think that's two different connotations. Um, and I had to, I never gave a retractment statement for that and I always wish I had. How has, if at all, Kemba impacted the dynamic with your group in your locker room? What, what, what's the impact he's had on the environment? Um, Kemba's been great. I got to first see Kemba at USA. Well, I seen him, I played with him before in, uh, in South Africa. Um, we had, there was like an NBA Africa game. Yep. Beyond Borders, um, and we was on. We were teammates then, my rookie year, my rookie summer. So I got to see him there, but I really got a good look at him at USA. Um, obviously, we had goals that we didn't live up to. We wanted to win, and we didn't. Um, and Kimball was one of the leaders of that team, so he had to take the majority of the flack. And how he handled it was great. You know, he didn't point fingers. He didn't blame others. To be honest, he just he 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 said that you know. We're going to be all right. We're going to learn from this. Um, things happen for a reason. Like he said, things that were more uplifting than like usually what you see. Like maybe somebody goes into a corner, doesn't talk to nobody. You know what I mean? Instead of starting to hang out with their teammates, they start hanging out more with their agent or people, their friend, the honorage. Like, Kimbo, we still hung out. We still, you know, played cars because we were on China. Like nothing changed, even though the times, you know, got more pressure and the more difficult and then when things get a little bit difficult and you hit adversity that's when you get to see like somebody's true makeup and character so like the whole world was against us literally and Kimball remained the same guy 
playing in the in the World Cup last summer across the world. It was a young team. It was a team that you knew it wasn't going to be easy. I don't know if you thought it might result. The results might be what they were. But what is it like to put on that USA uniform, be the national team, go across the world, and have it not go as well as people are used to it going? What is that? What is that like to be a part of? It was great for me. It was such a learning experience, and that's what it's about for me. It taught me so much, you know, just being in that environment with those coaching staff and then being in that environment with, you know, your teammates, but also having, you know, so many people expecting you to lose, you know, and that's kind of been like my whole life, you know. Expectations haven't been really high for for Jalen Brown, but um, – we find a way to, to, to make it work, and we just keep going. Even though we lost, I think that, you know, I don't know what the reason is. I believe everything happens for a reason. I think we're starting to see it now. You know, I think we all are kind of, like, better from that experience in a way. What, what did you learn playing for, for Pop? Um, Pop was great, man. I think his his expectation for excellence is what, you know, I, I took away from that whole experience, like, it could be like the slightest the slightest mistake and pop will be you know on you like you made a big mistake like just the tiniest of detail and pop will chew you out just because of the smallest mistake you think and that's like the level of excellence that we should all hold ourselves to because small things turn into big things so he the, his attention to detail his emphasis on detail was was something i definitely took away like it's nothing no stone is unturned in Pop's mind. And that's the reason why he has, what, five, six championships? Yeah. yeah. Would you like, you know, next year's roster is a tough one to crack at the Olympics. 12-man roster. I think you'll be on that broader roster they're going to release here soon if, if you want to be on it. Does going back and playing, if it's not next year's Olympics, down the road, being a part of it again, is that is that appealing to you? Yeah, I got to. At this point, I think it's a part of my journey now. Um, just losing it and falling short and how, how much it hurt to lose. I wanted to win that so bad, you know. Um, not only, you know, just to win, but um, just it just I just didn't want to lose, especially to some of these teams out there. I knew what it meant for them, and I wanted to beat them with every bone in my body, and we didn't. So at some point, whether it's a year or four or eight years from now, uh, I definitely I want to finish that journey and, and carry that out and get a gold medal. Jalen, this was this was great. I really enjoyed this. You are uh, listen. I think the next step of the journey for you might be your first All Star game. It's certainly going to be back in the playoffs with the Celtics this year. But good luck the rest of the season, man. And I appreciate you taking time to do this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today here in Boston, Celtics guard. Jalen Brown. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And also be sure to check out The Low Post with Zach Lowe and Brian Windhurst and the Hoop Collective. We'll catch you next time.